0: Good morning, church. It is good to see you. I know the rain kept a few of our people away, but I think it brought a few people with us, like my baby brother Joe in the back. He's here this morning. Good to see you. Ryan McRae right over here, all the way from Chicago. Some of you might remember him. But he's here this morning. He's a legend. So if you don't know him, get to know him afterwards. All right? The Ryan McRae. Well, to bring all of you up to speed, if this is your first time or you haven't been here in a while, we are in a series called Kingdom Parables. Kingdom Parables. What are parables? Well, parables are the stories that Jesus would tell to to paint a picture. He's trying to paint a picture to show us what the kingdom of God's grace looks like. He's trying to paint a picture to show us how his kingdom of grace is intended to be a blessing for others. His kingdom of grace is intended to uh, express love to people. And over and over and over again, when you read the parables, what you'll notice is that Jesus is constantly contrasting two perspectives. He is constantly contrasting two Views of spirituality, two lenses through which we look at God and life, two different approaches to knowing God and to experiencing God. And one leads to death, but we think it leads to life, and the other one is what leads us into a greater experience God than we could ever imagine. And Jesus wants to make sure that we get it right. People were messing it up back then, and people still mess it up today. So Why 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 is he relentless? Some people might think it's ad nauseum, but it's, it's critical. He goes over it over and over and over again because it's important. We need answers to questions like, how do I really experience God? How can I genuinely change to be who God wants me to be? How can I know that God really does love me? Jesus keeps bringing it up. Because it's important. And second, he keeps bringing it up because we just don't get it. We just don't get it. Here's what we usually do. What we usually do is we read Jesus' words, and then we filter his words through a distorted lens. We do this kind of... um, Naturally, It's kind of our default mode. We filter Jesus' words through a distorted lens, and therefore, Jesus and what he says is distorted, right? And so what happens is we don't end up seeing Jesus at all. And so Jesus is trying to shatter our distorted lens so we can see Jesus for who he is, what he is all about. In Luke 15, again, Jesus is saying, you still don't get it. I'm gonna give you three parables. We'll try this again. And that's what he does. Three, he gives three of his best known parables. And again, they're just usually misunderstood. And I think the reason that they're misunderstood is because we read them out of context. We forget that that he he gives these, these um these parables in response to a debate that's starting to stir up. Jesus is telling these people, um, or telling these parables to help us see the difference between the two lenses again. Okay, now the question is, what are the lenses? What are these two lenses that Jesus is constantly contrasting? Well, I'll put it this way. There may be many ways to put it, but I'll put it this way. The two lenses that Jesus is contrasting, um, we could call the morality lens, and the gospel lens. And we confuse the two all of the time. But we learn three ways that they're critically different. And first of all, if you're taking notes using the handout um, in in your bulletin, the, the first is this, that the gospel has a deeper view of sin. It has a deeper view of sin than the morality lens. So the question is then, What is sin? And your answer depends upon what lens you are looking through. The morality, you know what the morality lens says? The morality lens says that sin is simply breaking the rules. That's it. You look at verse 2. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. I mean, Jesus... (laughs) I don't know if if you pick this up when you read the Gospels, but Jesus is constantly being scandalous. And not only is he being scandalous, he is being deliberately scandalous to teach us something. Jesus welcomes the outcasts. He welcomes the prostitutes. He welcomes the homeless. He He welcomes the lepers. He welcomes the poor. He welcomes the addicts, people who have been marginalized by society, people who have been shunned By society. In fact, people who have been shunned by people who claim to be God's people. Jesus welcomes them. He's being scandalous. In the Gospels, we see Jesus speaking to a Samaritan woman when a good religious person didn't talk to Samaritans, let alone women. Jesus goes to the home of Zacchaeus, a tax collector that everybody hated as a traitor. And then he, at another time, he allows another woman to anoint his feet, a woman that was despised and labeled as a home wrecker, And then Jesus touches lepers when no one else dared touch, touch lepers. And he was kind to the poor when the poor were ignored at best. The Pharisees got angry. They got angry because Jesus was was welcoming the, the outcasts. I mean, thinking, they're saying things like, Jesus, what, what are you doing with these people? I mean, you're wasting your time. They're not coming to our places of worship. Don't waste your time with them. Or, Jesus, you're not being wise. I mean, when you hang out with these kind of people, don't you see that you're kind of giving, you know, mixed messages, you're conf- a confusing message? People will think that you're condoning their sin. And then what would happen? And and wait, why are they wanting to hang out with you anyway, Jesus? I know you must be soft on sin. The Pharisees see sinners as nothing more than rule breakers. They see sin as nothing more than breaking the rules. But what is the gospel's view of sin? Well, it's deeper and takes sin far more seriously than the morality lens It is more than just breaking the rules. Sin is running from God. And we see see this in two of the three parables. The sheep runs away from the shepherd, and the son runs away from his father. And you know what? The the, the sheep didn't just kind of accidentally wander off on a stroll and lose his way. This sheep was on a power walk going, I need food. I don't need the stupid shepherd. And the son, he says, you know what? I want my money now, and I don't need my father. And here's the sin beneath all sin, whatever it is. The sin beneath all sin is that we run from God. And you know what? Every single one of us does this. Every single one of us. We either don't admit it, or we are in complete and total denial about it. It's everybody else that's messed up. And we rarely see it in ourselves. And then, when you think that the gospel is taking sin pretty seriously, I mean, then Jesus takes it even deeper and he says, breaking the rules is only one way. It's only one way that we run from God. But what so many people miss is that another way to run from God is by keeping the rules. Does that sound weird to you? Hang in there. I'll explain. It's Jesus' main point. You especially see it in the third parable, what what we usually call the parable of the prodigal son. And I think the reason that we call this parable the parable of the prodigal son is because we have been trained over a very long time to view that story through the morality lens. Jesus doesn't call it the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus says this. Jesus says there was a man who had two sons. This is a parable of The man who had two sons. And if we pay attention to the context and who he's addressing, which are the Pharisees, by the way. If we pay attention to the context, we realize that this this isn't so much about prodigals as it is about self-righteous religious people. Because when you get to the end of the parable, what do you see? You see the, the younger son, he returns And the father runs out to him and hugs him and kisses him and kisses him and kisses him. And And he brings him into the house and has a huge party and and they celebrate. But then we read in verse 28, the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. And so his father went out and, and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? Jesus is saying there are two sons. One son is good, and the other son is bad. One is obedient, one is disobedient. And then Jesus says, both are lost. Both of them are lost. On the surface, it looks like they're lost for different reasons, but underneath, they're both running from God. They both want God's stuff. They don't want God. It just looks different. And then, Jesus takes it even deeper, All right, you might trip over this one. Jesus is not just saying that the the older brother is also lost in spite of his goodness. He's saying that the older brother is lost because of his goodness. Or because of his righteousness. In fact, Jesus says the good son is even more lost than the bad son. Because the good son doesn't even know that he's running from God. I mean, he's keeping the rules, right? And what's shocking is that at the end, the bad son comes into the light and the good son stays out in the dark. So, let's try to apply this. Maybe this is like a new idea for you. Maybe you're thinking, you know what, I never heard this kind of Christian stuff before. But listen, this is the message of Christianity, if you never heard this before, is because when Christianity was, was introduced to you, it was filtered through a distorted lens. So that means that you really haven't heard Jesus at all. So I want to encourage you this morning to rethink Christianity. Take another look at the central teaching of Jesus. Talk to a Christian friend who understands grace and how, how experience of grace leads to greater holiness. Other, others, I know, I know others might hear this and say, you know what, um, Matt, this is a dangerous message. It's reckless. If you say Christianity is not be, about being good, then, then all the people will just do whatever it is that they want. You know what, I'm telling you right now, that is Pharisee thinking. That is a wrong conclusion based on a wrong premise, and you need to rethink Christianity as well. So, For those of us who claim to be Christians, let's try to apply apply this, okay? There are many different ways, but let me take this approach. The Pharisees were criticizing Jesus for welcoming the outcasts, right? Welcoming people who break the rules all over the place. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you. Who are you more like, Jesus or the Pharisees? Could you be criticized by Pharisees for being a friend of sinners by loving and welcoming outcasts. People have been rejected by society. People have been rejected by church. Could you be criticized for being a loving friend to the outcasts? Or are all your friends good older brothers? See, being a follower of Jesus will include will include being a friend of outcasts. It will include being friends, loving people you might consider to be scandalous. To be a follower of Jesus includes loving the younger brother. And by the way, just, just, just remember, we're not any better than anybody else, okay? Being a follower of Jesus will include being a friend of outcasts. That's The gospel has a deeper view of sin. It's running, sin is running from God, not just breaking the rules. Secondly, the gospel has a higher view of value, okay? Now let me ask you, think about your life. Think about, think about, how you spend your money and your time and your energy, where do you get your value? What is it that you look to to get your, va- your value, to know that, that you're valuable, to know that, that your life matters, to know that you're making a difference? What is it that you look to, to to get that value? Well, it depends which lens you look through, right? The morality lens says you need to earn your value and good luck with that. See, the Pharisees, they don't value the prostitutes, they don't value the tax collectors, they don't value the poor, they don't value the leper, they treat them like trash. If you want value, you've got to earn it, right? If you're rich, you have value. If you're healthy, you have value. If you're beautiful, you have value. If you keep all the rules, then you have value. That's not the gospel, The better you are, the more valuable you are. The more worthy you are of love. The more worthy you are of honor. The more worthy you are of respect. But what does the gospel say? The gospel says that you are the treasure of God. How many of you noticed that we have an outhouse here? It's a few right on the other side. In case you need it, right on the other side of that wall. Why do we have an outhouse? Well, during the week, our men's room is strictly dedicated to the preschool, so we got the dudes an outhouse. You're welcome. It is cheaper than building a new bathroom, and dudes are fine with it. Now, what if after church, one of our little kids comes running up to you and and says, please help me. I, I was in, in the outhouse, and, and I dropped my Furby down in there. You got, do they still make Furbies? That's still a thing, right? Furbies? It's been a while since I had kids. I, iPhone Furby. I looked it up. They're selling Furbies, just in case. I was wondering. They're still selling Furbies online for like 100 bucks. I dropped my furby down there, and I sank to the bottom, and I can't see it. Can you help me? Can, can you reach in there and fish around and find it and, and get it for me? What would you tell that kid? Yeah, 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 yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there it is. I'll hold your feet. <laughs> And then Evan would be like, whoops. <laughs> You'd be like, you're out of luck, kid. Besides, those things are demon-possessed, right? God would have deserved. No sane person goes to any effort searching for something they don't value, right? You don't value that. You're not going to do that. Look. Jesus says, I am the shepherd seeking the lost sheep. I am the woman searching for the lost coin. I am the father running out to my lost son. These three stories take us to the theological Edge. In Eastern religion, God is the creation. In Western religion, uh, the gods took existing stuff and made more stuff. But when you have a God that created everything out of nothing, when you have a God that existed before creation and apart from creation, you have a God that does not need creation in order to be God. You have a God that does not need us at all. And here's the mystery. See, you and I we don't value something unless we need it, right? God doesn't need us, but Jesus is saying that God has so intimately bound himself to us that he aches over our brokenness and our lostness. He says that, that we he cannot rest until we are found. That he cannot rejoice until we come home. You are the treasure of God. Do you believe that this morning? We doubt it so easily, don't we? There is no other religion, there is no other lens that has a higher view of value. The Bible says that the God the God of the universe values you so much that he is seeking you. That he is searching for you. That he finds you in the darkness. No other religion has a God like this. It's like, you better... You better shape up, then we'll see. You better make the right choices, then we'll see. I'm not going to come after you until, you know, you come after me. God pursues us. He looks for us. Out of sheer grace. He, because he chose to value us. Not because we earned anything. Now let's try to apply this. Um, what is it that you are looking to to prove to yourself and maybe to prove to others that you have value. I can help you with this. In fact, it's pretty easy. What is it that causes you to lose your joy? All right? Start there. What is it that causes you to lose your joy? Are you looking to your Performance at work, or performance at school, or performance in sports. Are you looking to your health? Are you looking to your looks? Are you looking for approval? Are you looking for that special person who will love you? Uh, the, the number of likes that you have on on Instagram, the kind of home you have, or a car you have, or clothes you have, or maybe it's raising you know well-behaved children, or maybe it's something like your knowledge of the Bible, what is it? What is it that causes you to lose your joy when you can't have it or when you lose it? Anything come to mind? The truth is if if you try to get value from anything other than God, you will constantly be on an emotional roller coaster. Too many things are out of your control. You know what? Sometimes you'll feel like maybe you had a good week. You feel like you had value. Maybe you had a bad week or a bad month, and you just feel like you're a total loser. The only way to have just unshakable value is to get your value from God. From knowing that the God of the universe, the only one whose opinion ultimately matters... This God values you. This God treasures you. This God delights in you. He doesn't just love you because it's his job and God is love. He likes you and delights in you and what's the best for you. And you can only see that through the gospel lens. The morality lens says, you got to perform. And you know, that gets preached so often. You better do this, 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 and this. And here are a few Bible verses. You got to be, you got to do this and not do that. You got to perform. You got to be beautiful. You got to be rich. You got to have, you know, these good relationships. You got you to gotta achieve great things. You got to keep all the rules. And Jesus says, you know what? Listen, listen, time out. Just stop. Just take a breather. Catch your breath. Relax. Rest. I love you just the way that you are. Okay? I love you just the way that you are. And God says, okay, which sheep is the most foolish? Which one is the most broken? Which which one is the most needy? That's the one that he goes after. Now, don't miss this. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. This is important. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you remain as you are. Once you know that you are valued by God the Father, it will radically change you to be like Jesus. And then you will grow in holiness because you just want to honor him and bring glory to him. And then you will value the poor, and you will value the outcasts, and you'll value those rejected by society and even rejected by most churches because God does. And because God loves you. And if you need proof, if you need proof that God loves you, you look to the cross. There is not a stronger argument for God's love than the cross. We'll get into that. The gospel has a deeper view of sin. The gospel takes sin far more seriously than the morality lens. And the gospel has a higher view of value. And then, compared to the morality lens, the gospel has a farther view of love. And what do we learn about God's love? Well, let me ask you this. Does Jesus only say, I'm the shepherd who seeks? Does he only say, I'm the woman who searches? Does he only say, I'm the father who goes out? No, because that's not enough. And I'll explain what I mean by going to the Old Testament and what we see in the Old Testament. Because the... The entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is all about God redeeming His His people. So you go all the way back to Isaiah and the prophet Isaiah. He sees the glory of the of the Lord and he hears these angels proclaiming what we see in verse three. He says, "Holy, holy, holy," the angels say, "is the Lord God Almighty." And suddenly Isaiah, in in view of God's holiness, becomes very aware of his own sin. In fact, has a much deeper deeper view of sin. And Isaiah, what is his response? He says, woe is me, I am ruined. And what does God do? Does God say, hey, Isaiah, just chill out. It's cool, man. I'm love and, and, and you know, just, just relax. It's no big deal. No, he does not say that. Because that's not enough. Verse 6, then one of the angels flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then something happens when the coal touches Isaiah's mouth. Because the next thing we see, the Lord said, whom shall I send, and, and who will go for us? You read the rest of it, and God's basically saying, you know what, I have a job for someone, I want someone to go preach to a people for, 40, or excuse me, for 30 years, and they won't listen to him, and they won't go to his services, and they won't get involved in his ministry, and they won't approve of him, and they'll just criticize him, and they won't help him with any of the resources or anything else, and they won't respect him. And what does is, what is Isaiah say immediately in response to that? Here am I. Send me. What is Isaiah nuts? Is he crazy? He says, I'll go. I don't need success. I I don't need their approval. I I don't need comfort. I'll do it. Send me. I will go. How How in the world could he do that? One thing. He knew that he was treasured by God. I don't need their approval because I have God's approval. I don't need their respect because I am loved by the God of the universe. I don't need to be valued by them because I am valued by my Heavenly Father. And how did He know that? It was the coal, it was the coal, it came from the altar. It came from the place where sheep are sacrificed for forgiveness of sin. This is not some kind of shallow, feel-good love in general, vague kind of kind of love. This is sacrificial love. Jesus is not just the shepherd who seeks. Jesus is the lamb that was slain. Jesus is not just the woman who, who searches. Jesus is the lost coin. See, on the cross, Jesus was dying and sinking into the muck. Did, did God run to him with a, with a lamp looking for his treasure? No, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God turned out the light, and Jesus was swallowed up by death. He chose to value you, and we see how valuable you are because of Jesus When you look to the cross, you have been purchased by God. That is where you get your value. Everything else will rip you off. So, Jesus is not just the father who goes running out to the son. He is the true and greater Older brother that the younger brother needed. He is the true and greater brother who sacrifices his riches to welcome back his younger brother. See, you know, all other gods say, here are the rules, I'll be on the porch. But the God of the Bible jumps off the porch and runs to embrace his lost son. No other lens has a God who loves like that. This shatters all of the other lenses. That's why Isaiah said, I, You know what? I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm treasured by God. So, let's try to apply this. It can be real easy to think. God loves me because I try to live a good life. You know, I'm pro Ten Commandments. I think the golden rule is pretty cool. I mean, that is not Christianity. I don't care how good you think you are. You're looking at life through the morality lens, and you're the older brother standing outside in the dark. You are a Pharisee, and you don't want God. You want what he can give you. Others of you might be just broken this morning and, and you're, you're just still reeling from your, your life just falling apart. You know you made some horrible, horrible decisions and you think, you know what, I'm the younger brother. I know that. And I, I wandered very far from the Father. I went off the deep end. It's going to take me a really long time for me to get into a right relationship with God. But I'm telling you this morning, that is not true. That is not Christianity. That is not the gospel. The reason you're here this morning is because God has been seeking you. He loves you. He treasures you. You're precious to him. And the moment you turn to him, he comes running to embrace you and rejoices that you have come home. For those of you who are Christians, let me encourage you. We can remind each other on this, right? Right? Don't forget that he is your shepherd. Trust him. What what happens when a shepherd finds a a lost sheep? We've probably all heard stories about this. (laughs) Shepherds tell us. They send their dogs after after the sheep once they find them. Get the sheep cornered, and the sheep just starts running around back and forth, and, and the shepherd runs the sheep, tackles the sheep, and throws it down to the ground, and ties up the legs and heaves it over his shoulders and starts walking home. Usually, when, when we see a picture of Jesus with the lamb over his shoulders, and we think, oh, isn't that sweet? <laughs> Jesus is my shepherd, and I'm his little sheep, and he's carrying me. No, he grabs it, throws it to the ground, ties it up, and heaves it over his shoulder and brings us home. Because we, we naturally, we want to get away, right? We convince ourselves that we're happy to be lost, leave us alone. God loves us too much. Now I know. I know that some of you are struggling right now. I know life is hard right now. And you're angry. God is not punishing you. All right? He is not trying to get you to jump through hoops so that he'll approve you and give you what you really want. All right? That's morality lens stuff. He does love us. He doesn't want to make us pay. He wants the best for us. And it will, from time to time, he, he can discipline us through very difficult circumstances. Our first reaction is Lord, I don't deserve this. This isn't fair. I've been trying to serve you and be good like my whole life. Why are you allowing this to happen to me? What in the world did I do wrong? That's the morality lens. Look at it through the gospel and you will see that he loves you. He really does. Look to the cross. That is your proof. See him dying for you. That is how you know without a shadow of a doubt that he loves you. No other lens of religion has such a radical view of God. He is your shepherd, and if you see that he is your shepherd, you will trust him unconditionally. You are his treasure, and if you see that, you will treasure others and treat all people with dignity and respect because an all-holy God chose to treasure you. If you look at life through the lens of the gospel, it will radically change you. Because the gospel changes everything. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it lovingly corrects us. God, please forgive us for always defaulting to uh, pointing out where other people are messing out, up with, and sinning without ever examining our, our own hearts. And so often we convince ourselves that we don't have to because we're pretty satisfied with the way that we've been keeping the rules. So often we obey you just to get something from you so that you owe us. Or maybe we're doing it just for respect so other people can look up to us and we get acceptance from them when we don't even really love them. God, help us to see that, that all of our sin, whether we're the younger brother or the older brother, help us to see that in reality we're running from you. And it may look really, really messy. Or it may look really polished. But the bottom line is, we have this tendency to run away from you and just turn to you for whatever it is that we think you might be able to give us. God, help us to, to love you for who you are. Help us not to just approach Christianity as nothing more than a a contract, but as a relationship rooted in covenant. God, I pray this morning that you would enable us not to be distracted by anything else going on, that in this moment, right here, right now, by your spirit, would you shine a light on our hearts and show us in what ways we are turning to other things for our satisfaction and joy instead of you. Where we are trying to glorify our own name as opposed to glorifying you and your name. May your grace enable us to take our sin more seriously. So often we just sweep it under the rug. God, your love leads us to bring it out into the light so we can experience healing. I pray that you would do that for all of us, including and especially me, this morning, right here and right now. God, I pray if there's anybody who's never put their faith and trust in you, that, that this morning you would give them eyes to see that you are seeking them. Enable them to seek you, knowing that when they do seek you, you promise that they will find you and realize that you are already looking for them. You are a gracious God.